0: And welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we aim to keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers and moves in livestock, grain and oilseed and fibre markets. I'm Olivia Agar. Thanks for tuning into episode 191. To finish where we left off last week with David Cornish and Robert Herman, where we learned about the big picture trends driving the outlook for agriculture, as well as all these current disruptors and the impact they're having on markets right now. So if you missed last week's episode, go back and listen to it first, because today we're moving in for a closer look at specific commodities, the trends that are driving consumption, as well as Australia's market access. And we've got a lot to cover, prime lambs and sheep, goat, grain and oilseed, wool and dairy. So there's something for just about everyone between those two episodes. Before we do get stuck in, though, here are a few things you should know on markets this week the global ag commodity complex has gone through a major correction. The value of most commodities are now at or lower than pre-war levels, and that was triggered by both new crop supply, but also, importantly, the falling macroeconomic signals, recession fears, and the resurgence of COVID infection rates that are all just creating this very negative market environment. Stats Canada reported that the Canadian farmer has planted more wheat at the expense of canola, barley, and peas, So that reduction in canola area should be positive for price, while the 10% increase in spring wheat area did weigh on markets earlier in the week. Local cattle markets continue to have a cautious and softer sentiment about them, and nothing significant has changed locally, but that macroeconomic outlook and the rising cost of production just seems to be dampening confidence. There was also the news of foot and mouth disease reaching Indonesia, which is a big concern. So if FMD were to reach Australia, it would have huge ramifications, not just for livestock markets, but the flow on effects would be well beyond the farm gate. And we discussed some of this in a previous podcast episode, or for more information, you can always seek it out from your peak industry bodies. That's it from me today. Here's Rob and David Cornish for part two of our Commodity Outlook.
1: Meridian Agriculture is a multidisciplinary specialist consultancy established by Dr. Mike Stevens. Meridian 16 consultants spread across six locations in New South Wales and Vic employ an evidence-based, scientific approach to farming, and a personalised manner with their clients. Meridian specialises in improving both financial and operational aspects of farming enterprises, and guiding families through the often difficult transition of succession planning. Head to their website meridian-ag.com.au to learn more. So, Turning our attention now to the other, well, I shouldn't say the other other meat, <laughs> but certainly uh, prime lamb and and sheep. What are we seeing there?
2: Yeah, well, I did make a comment that if we, um, uh, you know, if I won farm lotto and, and inherited a couple of thousand acres, I, I think, providing I can sign up some shearers, David, I think <laughs> I would I would be very keen to try and be in the sheep meat industry. I mean, we're at a hundred year low sheep flock and it's not only in australia it's in new zealand and we know that that they're the two significant flocks because they're they're the ones that export Export, to the world at the same time we've got um, the underlying strong demand for high-level protein but we've also got this other little bit of a positive coming on the sheep industry and that is there there are more people getting to know about sheep and lamb in the world and when we look at we talked before about pork in china i mean there's there's more pork consumed in China in a week than what the world would produce in terms of sheep meat out of Australia, New Zealand. So, so we're very insignificant. So any little impact, any little improvement in demand will have a, a, a strong impact on, on sheep price, sheep demand, because you have to actually have a paddock of grass and breed some sheep before you can actually, you know, get that lamb on the, on the plate. We saw, coming out of COVID, David, in the US. We know we've had a strong US lamb market for that heavy lamb. has been yes. really strong. It was mainly directed at restaurants and cruise ships. But in the COVID period, of course, people didn't go out to restaurants much, and they started eating at home, and they were going in and buying their beef steak, and, oh, let's try some pork, and we'll try some chicken, and, oh, here's a bit of lamb down here. Why we'll have a crack at that? Mm. And so we know that there are households that, for the first time, you know, got a taste for lamb. And, and that's really important because, you know, the US is a, is a solid market for us. And just to put a little bit more volume through there is going to have a big impact.
1: It doesn't take much for us to have a, a significant impact on us, our, uh, our
2: demand for our product, does it? Not at all. Uh, one other one I'd just flag with you, or there's two. One is the UK free trade agreement. I think that will be more restaurant-based product and, um, you know, high-quality cuts But the other one is the India Free Trade Agreement. And, um, you know, certainly a large part of the population, the Hindu population, are vegetarian, but there was a very big Muslim population in India. And uh, we know they love uh, sheep and goats and, um, you know, those small animal meats. And uh, so we're thinking that, and then that was a 30% tariff. So it, it really knocked all the imports of Australian lamb out. Or sheep meat out going into India, um, that could really have have an, a demand impact as well. So, because as I understand with the UK one, and I've I, I
1: been a bit hard on my students when they say, "Look at the UK free trade is going to be the uh, a big thing." It, it's it's over ten years, isn't it, Robert? I mean, you know, the, the in full in impact of the free trade agreements going to take a while to come through into the meat industry, isn't
2: it? Yeah, that's right. And I, I don't, I think. I haven't got the exact times there, but you're right.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, the India one, though, is more immediate. That's and that, that
1: that's interesting, is it? Because that's the one. Yeah. I mean, again, you look at the size of the population, and then you look at a thirty percent reduction. That to me, that gets my that that gets me excited.
2: Yeah. 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 Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad you're getting excited. No, I'm getting excited, excited about over that. that mate. <laughs> <laughs> I think just one comment on 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 a you know what can governments and what can industry bodies do for our farmers? Well. I think we've got to recognise they've been very good at getting market access for our red meat. You know, we do have very good access. And that's important because it spreads your risk. You know, you're not relying on one particular market. Um, we know that uh, with our lamb, we're spread – well, first of all, we've got a reasonable domestic market, uh, retail market for lamb, but we've then got, you know, the US, um, we've got China, we've got the Middle East, um, we've got a diversity of markets, and then we've got the emerging markets. Yeah. Uh, and that's really important. That's a good thing to have and it's a good place to be when you're producing a commodity for export. It creates demand um, but it also reduces risk from any one particular market.
1: I, I couldn't agree more. And I think one of the things that we, we, we underestimate or undervalue is the diversity in our market access now, which means for a lot of our products that we have a, a good good market diversification. I mean, you look at beef and you look at lamb, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, I think it's Fantastic outcome, and, and again something that's often not under under understood um, until a, a market closes down.
2: Exactly, exactly. We saw that with um, just talking about grains for a minute, yeah. Dave. We saw that with barley, where yeah. I think sixty percent of our barley exports were going to China, and um, and when um, they uh, they lost uh, lost the love and and decided to to stop those imports going into China, barley suffered. But it's interesting. We're still out of the China market, by the way. But I see the other day, new crop barley is $425 a tonne. So it's going somewhere. And that's the interesting thing with having diverse markets. You can Mm. get into those markets. uh, And, you know, if if China stopped taking our barley, we would then assume they they have to replace that with someone else's. And that barley wasn't sitting around. It was going to a market. So the markets are are interchangeable and you know this supply that we're talking about this just in time and how logistics work um works in the favor of, of an exporting country like australia now so robert you had a chance do you, you had a look at goats oh i love goats i reckon we're going to come to love goats even more david
1: well a- again I, i've got the uh, <laughs> students to do a bit of assignment work and what what what, yeah. what uh what really struck me were the ones who did it on
2: goats and i thought hey there's there's a market here isn't there there is a market, and it's going gangbusters. If you go out to the it, – it's it's in its – sorry, it's having a few teething issues. No. I think that's fair to say. But the, I was talking to – we did a podcast with um, – uh, and I just can't remember his name, but he was Nutrient's agent up at uh, Charval. Yep. And he made an interesting comment. He said, I've now got farmers who are second and third generation who have never, who have battled never got anywhere. He said, "Now they've got goats. They can't believe it. So goat meat yep. is currently at ten dollars a kilogram. Yep. There is new abattoir meatworks being put in at um, Burke. Uh, there's abattoirs in Charleville. I'm sure there are others. Um, the other thing that we that I discovered in that is that we produce a product with what's got skin on. So so these goats in Australia are de-haired, not scud. And uh, the American market loves this because uh, you've got this little bit of crackly, David. It's just like um, (laughs) it's like pork. Like a it's like a poor man's pork roast. Uh, Not really poor man's. I shouldn't have said that. Not at ten dollars a kilo. At ten dollars a kilo, it's not poor man's. That's right. So, and it and they're great. You know, they they, they satisfy some some challenges that have got to be addressed. So the challenge of um, of restocking that country. Yep. the challenge of finding labour to shear sheep and mm. and look after sheep, mm. uh, they tick a lot of boxes. Mm. Uh, one of the things, and I said it's got a few teething problems, and I don't, you shouldn't make, we shouldn't make too much of this. But one of the things is when you do go from previously, the Australian goat industry has been well, you just, you know, put a fence around the water and when they come in, you lock them up and chuck them on a trailer and take them to the avatars. When you start farming them, you do have some. You know typical issues, you know, with animal health, worm burdens, yeah, etc. Yeah, yeah. Feet yeah. that that you get when you start to intensify. Mm. But that said, I think it's great, and I think uh, so. We uh, we produce Australia produces one percent of the world goat meat. Yep, but we export twenty eight percent of the world's goat meat. Wow! So again, we're we're not a big player, but we're a big we're not a big producer, but we're a big player in export markets.
1: Because as as well as the students told me that it we it's the most consumed meat in the world or something. Goat meat, isn't it? Is that exactly? Am I right there? Exactly. Yeah. Well, they, they were right then. I I, I gave it a tick. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, we'll agree on that. I mean, I'm happy to see students do well in their assignments, David. But <laughs> that but what it tells us is that we've got this other you know they've got this other little industry yeah. sitting there that could become something quite significant.
1: Let's go across into the or the carbohydrates and oil. Let's start with uh, wheat and uh, and maybe the coarse grains. What, what's yeah. what's the go there?
2: Well, the story is all about. Well, supply, but as we said earlier in our conversation today, David, a lot of it is about logistics. You know, we have, you know, we're struggling to get all our wheat out of Australia just to get ships here at at record prices. So, and that's because of, you know, you just can't move, move grains and move product around the world as easily as what you could pre-COVID. But we've also got this hanging over us, if you like, uh, this big, crop that's sitting around in the Ukraine, Russia, Kazakhstan. That, but at the moment, it's sitting there and doing nothing, uh, which is inflating our prices, but it's still sitting there. Not, as you said, it's not going away.
1: So, so just driving back into Australia, though, if, if we've got logistic issues, does that mean, and given last year was a, a, a pretty big crop, have we got issues about moving last year's crop uh, is that going to become an issue with regards to to new crop?
2: No, I don't think so. I, okay. I, I don't think it's that serious. I think all yeah. the logistics are that we haven't been able to take the opportunity. Yep. We, you know, the, the shipping stems would have been locked in for what was contracted. Yeah. But now that, you know, Australian wheat and barley... Is cheap on the world market, so that, that,
1: that surprised me because it hasn't been always the case, has it, Robert? No, not at
2: all, mm. not at all. I think our basis at the moment below Chicago is is well, it got up to over two hundred dollars a ton, so that's a discount on yep. the world market. Yep. Normally, we would have seen. Look, it fluctuates from year to year, but to say we were a ten dollar premium at times wasn't out of the question. You yep. know, when we had these yep. good markets into Asia, mm. which we know are there again, and last the last. 18 months, I think we've been at a $50 discount to the world market when we've had these good seasons here, um, but that's blown out now. Not because our we've suddenly got a f- lot more grain has turned up since harvest last year. It's simply because the, the Northern Hemisphere ended up with a shortage mm. due to the Russia-Ukraine war. Mm. I would have thought that would have made ours, people
1: would want our wheat more rather than discounting it.
2: Well, No, well, they do. They do want it more, but we... They just can't. You can't buy it and get it shipped. So yeah. So the traders, I, I would imagine, they got all their money, as much money as they can possibly have, out in the owning grain. Yeah. But but you don't have to bid up because uh, there's no one coming in with the big, you know, with the northern hemisphere price at the moment. That's it's not a bad thing because you know the new crop price for barley's got a four in front of it. The new crop yeah. price for wheat's you know somewhere around five hundred dollars a ton. It means that even if that logistics issue sorts itself out in the north with Russia and Ukraine, yeah. the market could come back before our grain suddenly becomes expensive.
1: Yep, yep.
2: Hmm. So it's not a bad situation. And I think that's what's encouraging, you know, the, the grain producers of Australia to put in another record acreage. And, so, and you know, just driving around the country last week up around the Wimmera and Mallee, gee, they're looking forward to harvest. I, I bet <laughs> they are. good conditions. Oil seeds. The oil market's pretty hot at the moment, isn't it, Robert? Uh, Very hot. And we know there's always things about, you know, what Europeans, what oil they'll take and what they won't take and all that. But we've known that for some time and that's been putting underpinning demand. Um, And the growth in population and wealth, David, means that people are using more oils uh, and and the high-value oils like canola oil, using more of them. There's a couple of other things out of slightly left field i guess malaysia's you know almost banned the exports of uh, or certainly put tariffs on their on their plantation oils their uh, palm oils uh, yeah their palm oils now just to explain palm oil is is
1: a, is a significant player in the in the oil market isn't it it's Absolutely. not just a fringe and that's why i think yeah. surprised me is how important it is in setting price setting in, in oil
2: exactly but what happened was that this surge in, in price and demand and we know we've got you know extraordinary prices we see it here with our canola price but it's yep. across all the oil seeds what that did was it upset the the Malaysian population and they said well we can't afford to buy the palm oil yep. and uh, so the government said well we'll fix that mm. we'll curtail exports so that's one thing that's happened the other thing that's happened in a slightly more positive way is that the other the, the big exporter onto the market global market is Canada of seed. Yep. And what they've seen is a growing demand for oil in the North Americas, so in Canada and the US and down into South America. And they've put in a lot more crush plants, so they'll be they'll still be producing as much canola as they can, but they'll be crushing a lot more that won't be going out onto the world market and competing in the seed markets where we where we operate.
1: Is is a seed so seed market is significant for us versus the oil market.
2: No, absolutely, but yep. majority, by far, the majority of what we, you know, yep. I don't know the exact numbers, but I would have thought ninety percent plus is uh, exported to seed, and and most of the crush in Australia is for domestic consumption.
1: And how's the Canadian crop looking this year?
2: Well, I think they're, they're all pretty good. I mean, you've it's very easy to pick up a, a a news feed on them early in the morning, and oh, it was hot in Texas or something like that, and you yep. think oh they're the sort of day-to-day ructions that uh, drive the traders. Yeah, and the the traders love that. It gives them something to work with. But overall, we're going into a period, Or looking ahead. You know, overall, you would say crops are are pretty good. They're not as, you know, on the east coast of Australia here, we would say we're in exceptional circumstances. Western Australia is good. But the rest of the world, you know, there's probably some areas as good as us. But overall, David, we're going to go into a pretty big crop. But that said... You know, our stocks to use ratio, if you take out what China holds and you take out what's tied up in uh, the Ukraine and Russia, um, according to Michael Whitehead from ANZ the other day, he quoted a figure where he said the world has 54 days of grain left. So it's not quite um, Lenin's three days, but Mm. it's getting a little bit. Making people a little bit nervous.
1: Let's move on to the fiber market. Is it uh, cotton and, and and wool? So should we start with which one would you like to start with? <laughs> well,
2: I, I don't want to profess. I know a lot about cotton, but what I what we do know is that the performance of the cotton price since about the middle of twenty twenty has been extraordinary. Yeah, and it's and it's done very very well. So you know, it's um, it, it's really. Escalated. Uh, Australian cotton producers, uh, if they can get their harvesters back onto the paddocks, they're just waiting, for, hoping things yes. find up a little bit. Yeah, um, are looking forward to it. And the world's cotton producers are, you know, it's and it's a massive fibre mm. compared to wool. You know, it's it's massive in terms of volume. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: comparative. So, and and the out, it's it's all it's interesting when you start to read up and Dave and try and find out. Well, what's driving all that? And no, nobody can really put a finger on that you know, that nobody's come up with a really credible reason why yep. cotton prices have done as extraordinarily well as they have. And they've done better than other fibres. So mm. we know that wool and, and the synthetics and cotton all sort of track along with each other pretty well, but cotton has been the standout.
1: Again, the, the spread has seems to, to, to have got further apart between cotton and the others compared to the spread between the different
2: fibres if you go
1: back to, as you say, your, your 2020.
2: Correct. Mm. And it's not, I mean, we could look at it from a wool perspective and say, gee, I wish we were doing that. But when you look forward in terms of risk to a market, that's yeah. not a bad place to be. Yeah. You know, what you're what very you saying we can't
1: do any worse.
2: <laughs> well, we can do worse. Dave. We can do worse. We, we, we know that. But yeah. um, it tells us that if cotton can hold its levels, then we will yeah. be dragged up. Yep. If cotton doesn't hold its levels, there's a fair bit of buffer there before we get pressured down.
1: Yeah. And again, so the synthetics obviously have an effect as a competing fibre on both wool and cotton. Is the current oil prices having any effect on that, or is that sort of like a drop in the bucket to, to when yeah. you're looking at fibres?
2: Yeah. Look, Andrew Woods did a lot of work on that over the years, looking at um, um, oil price relative to synthetics. There's a pretty loose correlation between the two. Yep. It uh, and and you'd imagine there's a, there's a lot of other competing things that drive price. You know, it's a bit like saying our wool price depends on the how much rain we get at Castleden, yep. David. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of other things that will go into the equation. So again, from a cotton outlook,
1: then there's nothing that you're seeing in the radar that's saying uh, cotton should be looking. You know, we've got obviously good water reserves now. And mm. and prices would seem to be uh, chugging along quite nicely.
2: Well, they are. The, the, the old adage, though, David, is the best cure for high prices is high prices. And at yep. the moment, cotton is at high historical prices, yep. and it's at high prices relative to its competitors.
1: And that, n- that would be the concern. And there's nothing fundamentally saying why that's the case. It's no. just market forces. No. Yeah. Well, the, there may be somebody who knows, but I'm not one of those. Cool. Okay, so we'll move to wool. And again, obviously, we'll split this down the middle. We'll, we'll start off on the, the fine wool end. Yep. That's looking okay at the moment,
2: isn't it, Robert? It is. It is. Fa- and, you know, we, we talk about fine wool here in Australia as sort of, you know, seven, 17s, I guess, around yep. that level. Uh, we've got to remember that in the world, you know, fine wool is sort of 20 microns and finer. So yep. we have, we're, we're exceptional in what we produce. I think. You know, there's no doubt fine wool growers are having their day in the sun. Yep. If you're a good quality producer, um, you've got, you know, you're cutting reasonable weights and 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 getting some bales out the door. This this is as good a times as we've seen, and that's saying something because over the years we've we we've see some we've had spikes. Some good times, yeah. Yeah, we've had some good times. Had some bad times, but yeah. Yeah, I think. The, the world has probably led us in this regard a little bit you know they've they've led us to looking for finer softer yarns the lighter weight fabrics and you know the natural way to do that is to produce finer wool and i think the markets are leading us in that direction so that should tell us that it's well supported
1: so and and, and the big driver there is obviously economic growth again around the world
2: it is i don't think we're seeing the full value of that in the wool market as yet yeah i think i think there are some uncertainties in manufacturing and and um, and sales. Remembering wool is a discretionary spend. You know, yes. people don't have to go and they have to go and buy a bowl of rice or or a piece of meat or something. But you know, wool is a discretionary spend. So it relies on, um, you know, the the wealth of the world, but also confidence, market mm. confidence. Mm. I think um, there's one other point I just wanted to make while we're talking about merino wool. Uh, or wool in general, and that is the emergence of quality assurance schemes. You know, we have been surprised that, particularly the RWS, responsible wool sourcing, which is an international accredited scheme, the premiums that we're seeing now for that wool is quite significant. And Australia is not a big producer of it. South Africa produces more in terms of volume and certainly more as a percentage of their clip. But the, um, the value of that product. Is is been quite surprising that, you know, we've seen over the years where people have tried to differentiate David and 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 get an advantage. It's been difficult. This one has been driven from the customer down, and uh, so the customers have have got or whoever, textile industries I think runs mm. the scheme. Uh, they've obviously sold the value of that program. Uh, yep. the Quality Assurance Program, and then those customers have, have moved back down through their supplies and said, right, are we going and buy this wool? And we're seeing that translated into serious premiums. You know, we're talking 200 cents a kilogram clean yep. for some types. Yeah. And also for crossbreeds. David, you'd be yes. interested to know.
1: No, I've seen I've, my elders, like, has put that in front of me. I shouldn't say that, should I? But, uh, yeah, um, it talked about going for some of these accreditations, even for... Uh, and again, I can't put it off any longer, Robert. Let's talk coarse walls.
2: <laughs> yes. Well, um, well, I'm sure your your um your was using some of the analysis that we did, so it's probably pretty accurate, David. So good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, look the crossbreds. It's um I was thinking though, you'll know better than I, but I'm thinking it's less than four years ago when the twenty-eight indicator was about twelve hundred cents.
1: Oh mate, we were we were we were singing from the rafters. We were, we were telling the the fine wool growers, you know, telling them how wonderful it is. This wool industry is is. Uh, I think it was, uh, you know, we went. The margins were pretty close.
2: Yeah, and um, and perhaps maybe the crossbred guys should be talking to the cotton guys and just tell them that look, the one cure for high prices is high prices. <laughs> Uh, and again, it's a bit like cotton. The story is not that dissimilar. Why it's happened is not clear. Yep. You know, there's you can't say that. I mean, we we know there are more crossbred ewes around, but you can't say that we've flooded the market. Mm. I think, to be fair though, we have produced more volume of um, lower value crossbred wool, and it's no disrespect to those particular sheep, but we know there are there are you know sheep now composite type sheep that. Aren't producing that traditional crossbred wool, that traditional long, shafty crossbred wool that we would have seen on Corridales and and board Leicester cross sheep. So they've produced a, you know more of that type of wool now. Whether that's a factor or not is up for discussion. I think. So on the one hand, it's difficult to say why it's happened. On the other hand, it's difficult to say whether it will improve, David. So
1: there's there's nothing on the horizon saying hmm. this is suddenly going to turn around. No.
2: Yeah. No, but that said, I have um, I have said to farmers who have got that sort of wool. Well, if you're looking at hundred bucks a bale or something, and you've got a big shed, it's not going to be hard to double the value if your product somewhere down the track. So yep. we've seen, and we've seen that in the past. You know, yep. we've people were amazed to believe that uh, as kids we went down to the fruit garden and dug up the dags and yep. you know in a wool boom and sold them.
1: Yeah, who who didn't earn a bit of pocket money picking green wool, for those who out there who know what green wool is.
2: <laughs> exactly, exactly.
1: Uh, no matter how much stink. We can't not mention the dairy industry because uh, I, I find the dairy industry, what's happening in there, quite fascinating mm. at the moment too, Robert. I mean, the prices of, uh, are, are, again, very good, I would have thought.
2: Well, they are. You know, to have a nine in front of them is a bit like when we first said, well, would you ever see the cattle price of $10? You know, yeah. we well, wouldn't have thought that. I mean, dairy farmers, we know they've they've battled and haven't always been well rewarded. But it's interesting, again, if you compare it with the sheep industry, David, that, that increased price and certainly strong revenues comes at a time of great difficulty for dairy farmers, great difficulty for sheep farmers in just getting the labour to do the yes. things they have to do. Mm. I think, and again, we can circle back to our start of our conversation, you know, it's, it's not that hard to figure out that the global demand and the increased, you know, capacity for people to pay is driving that. And even just little examples where, you know, the, the, the special baby formula milk now that we're sending yes. to the US. Um, I mean, we are in a unique situation here in Australia. We have this high reputation for quality and, and, um, and, and high-value products, and that's another story, but we'll, we'll probably talk about that one other day, how we protect that.
1: Did you ever think you'd see the day when we'd be airlifting baby formula into the US?
2: No, I didn't. And and I, I also didn't think I'd see the day when... The U.S. President, uh, President Biden, you know, knew much about Australia, but he seemed to know a ever about Australian milk formula as well. So, <laughs> it's uh, it's opening diplomatic doors or, or kicking them open. Well, again,
1: we're we're taking a tour of uh, students over there. I think as presents, we'll just take a couple of
2: cans of baby formula, <laughs> won't we? A good a good idea, good idea, and and make sure you got them well sealed when you go through customs. But <laughs> yes, I, that's true. I hadn't <laughs> thought about that? Oh God. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, it's uh, it's a great time. But at the same time, we know our farmers have got great challenges. And, and look, we've got that if we have another big harvest coming up, you know, we're going to have to find people to do things, and that's going to continue to encourage our agricultural participants. I, I broaden the term rather yep, than just yep. farmers, but our participants to find new, better, more efficient innovative ways of doing things. That that drive is going to be very strong. And fortunately, it's going to come at a time when the industry has got plenty of uh, cash in it.
1: I think you're right, Robert. Is it's, uh, if we, if, if I can summarise in saying, other than broad walls, we, we could generally say that prices are uh, very good, uh, excellent in some cases. In some cases, I would argue seeing some of the best I appreciate with some of the inputs are a bit high, but gross mm. margins are still very high. So the cash flows there, yeah. But the the, the this 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 problem that we've got with regards to uh, labour resourcing and in some cases uh, ageing infrastructure is my concern is that's going to start biting us on the bum if we don't we can't do something about it.
2: Yes, absolutely, um, absolutely. And I think you know, as I say, the incentive is going to be there to continue to 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 evolve and to do those things and because you know you take a dairy farmer who's struggling to get his cows milked and you know we we have examples of people getting a text message at one in the morning from the milker saying oh, I'm, I'm i'm still at the nightclub and i won't be there in the morning that sort of stuff that, that doesn't help doesn't encourage you to keep uh, <laughs> i keep should try wandering. that at marcus <laughs> yeah yeah so th- there is going to be challenges to, to doing that but The point I was going to make there is those dairy farmers have got alternatives. You know, they might, if they're in Tasmania, they've got irrigation systems where they could grow high value crops. If they're in dryland dairy farming, they could be running beef or or whatever. So,
1: or the other issue is just sell the land because it's worth so much now that the and and go and sit on the Gold Coast.
2: Oh, yeah, but I wouldn't do that, Dave, because the lamb might be worth more next week. (laughs) (laughs) But you're Um, right. I mean, it's, it's
1: it's becoming a highly
2: valued.
1: Resource, mm. um, the opportunities there absolutely, but we if we can't take advantage of it, then then what do we do with our capital? Uh, how do we actually maximise our return to our capital?
2: Of course, we, well you're right. We can we can sell it, but it, we'll sell it to somebody else who's going to come in and produce, and that yep. that is going to be you know net zero in terms of production. Yep, uh, production changes, uh, but uh, look, I think if you want to look at one indicator. And that is that either successful family farmers or groups of people getting together as investors are identifying agriculture is the place to, you know, really scale up and scale up now at a time when, as you say, everything's expensive. But what they're telling us is that they have confidence in the outlook.
1: Rob, I think that's a great place to to finish off today's podcast. Always a pleasure having a chat to you and I always learn something new. So thank you very much.
2: Pleasure to talk to you, David, and thanks for the time.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Commodity Conversations. If you're looking for more detailed information on commodity markets, you can head to the Mercado website and pick up a premium subscription, which will give you full access to all our archive of reports as well as all the fresh analysis as it's delivered and access to our team of analysts. Thanks again, and until next week, take care.